Welcome to Staying at the Table. We are friends and community, part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. We believe the best of relationship comes when we are willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently. In today's episode, we begin a series where our friend Chloe Milligan shares her journey of what it means to be a transgender woman. Sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Staying at the Table. We so appreciate you tuning in um, repeatedly. So thanks so much. Today we are... um, Well, first, let me say that we have our little group here. Oh, the original group here is Matt Kistler. The OG podcast. Yeah, (laughs) here it is. So Matt Kistler is here at the table with us. The Reverend James Beatty is here at the table with us. Of course, the amazing Dave Moore that we always call amazing, the amount of work he does. And we also have a very special guest with us, and it's Chloe Milligan. Yay. Thank you for joining us, Chloe. Thanks for having me. So we are going into a little mini-series like we do, and Chloe is here to share her story of what it's been like for her and her journey of being a transgender woman. And um, she graciously offered to share her story with us. And I just want to put out there to begin with that we are new to this. We're new to um, the language. We're new to the questions that that we can ask. So we are really in a learning position, all of us. Um, so we might make mistakes. We might ask questions that, you know, Chloe doesn't want to answer or something, but she is so willing and so open to um, deal with our faux pas. Deal with our faux pas. But that's what staying at the table is all about, yeah. right? You make mistakes and you embrace learning and discovery. So, Chloe, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. And anything you want to say before we start? Um, yeah. So, I think that starting the conversation with the the sort of like admission like this is new we might make mistakes um the whole like how do i phrase it the 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 like trans issues or trans rights or just trans identity um discourses can be difficult because i think that culturally we've been um sort of condition conditioned to feel like you can never make mistakes mm. there's a lot of discourse around like you know um don't ever ask a trans person this. Don't ever ask a trans person that. And it makes it feel like if you make one mistake, you are like canceled or, you know, you're transphobic, which is such a like loaded word. Um, And so every different trans person like has their level of comfort and willingness to engage in these issues and these conversations. But I know for me, um, and I guess especially the circles that I – um, associate in and, and, you know, uh, including Christian circles. Um, if I, if I can do anything, it's to be, um, maybe even to a fault, like, um, radically open, like, yes, you can ask me because 
we're not going to be able to talk about these things if you're scared to talk to me. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people feel scared to talk about this because they're going to um, cancel themselves out of the conversation. And so um, if I am some kind of uh, even some sort of like doormat into the trans discussion, I'm glad that like I can answer these questions. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. So I think where I want to start before we go back to the beginning is just so to give a little bit of context is Chloe has been a uh, part of our church for uh, a little over two years now. Okay. Yeah. A little over two years. And we've only ever known Chloe as a woman. And she came into our midst uh, right when we were uh, in the midst or, or actually at the end of becoming an inclusive community. And so we've only known her as her. So we don't even know her story. You know, we've spent time with her, we've talked to her, but we've never sat down or I've never sat down and said, okay, tell me your whole story. So this is a real gift. I'm excited for hearing your journey. But can you tell us who you are now? And then we'll go back to the beginning. And what I mean by that is your um that you're married, you know, just who you are now a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah, I'll start by saying that, like, you were talking about um, we've only ever known Chloe as her, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking, well, yeah, that's I... the goal. <laughs> um, I didn't want you to know me before. Um, but, yeah, so I am Chloe Milligan. Um, I have been going to Cornerstone since about November 2021, um, which was about one month after I had come out publicly. Um, I am married to Ashley Milligan, who also attends Cornerstone. Um, she, uh, you, you know, you may see me, um, playing the drums and she sings on Dave's team, uh, worship team. We have a daughter, Iris. Um, she's going to be five in six days. Oh, sweet. Um, so yeah, she's really excited about that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, at church, I, like I said, I play the drums on the worship team Outside of church, I am a college professor at Penn State Berks. Um, I teach in the writing and digital media program, classes like multimedia production and writing for the web and stuff. Um, and how long have you been married? Oh, yep. Uh, good question. <laughs> um, I've been married for eight years now. Yeah. Any fun or exciting hobbies? Uh, we have to than, get all the icebreaker questions. Oh, in sure, yeah, yes. I, Tracy's I feel, not going to ask him up front. <laughs> I feel like the the easy one that I probably shouldn't even say by this point is playing the drums um, because I've a uh, I, I haven't monetized it, but I've utilized that hobby. Um, but you know, um, love to read. Um, very into uh, like I'm a big cinephile. Like very into movies um, and keeping track of like what what's coming out and. Um, being up on my like film history, it's just like it's something that I'm really into. Um, same with video games. Actually, at um, at Penn State Berks, um, my research focus is uh, video game studies, um, which is always fun to explain. Um, you know, I have a couple of children that 
I think will that would be their life goal. Sure, yeah. Well, that's, and and that's the funny thing because it's like when you say video game studies, people are like, "Ooh, video games." It's like, no, you know how like you think you love reading, and then your English teacher makes you read The Great Gatsby, and you hate reading. That's what I do with video games. Like, my my goal is to make it academic work that you don't enjoy anymore. Um, that's great. But yeah. Um, I'm thinking of hobbies, and I almost want to be like long walks, but not on the beach. Um, I, I love to hike. Um, I don't do it enough, but I do love to do it. Um, and yeah, I think those are the major ones. All right, good you can question. Edit that part out, no, no, that's good. All right, so can you uh, just kind of begin your story? And and I think where part of where I'm curious is almost when you first recognized and how you recognized and what you recognized, you know, kind of your your journey there. Yeah. Well, in the words of David Copperfield, I was born. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I have, I was born into a uh, Christian family, um, grew up in the Pentecostal holiness denomination. Um, the official tag is the IPHC, the International Pentecostal Holiness Church, which I only feel like I have to like specify because when you say Pentecostal, people are like, oh, like snake handlers and like, you know, speaking in tongues. And it's like, yes, speaking in tongues, less snakes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no snakes. Um, (laughs) Very holy though. (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh God, yeah. The The holiest. Yeah, the the holiness part, they were very serious about. Um, Son of, uh, I was... um, whether I wanted to be or not, I was raised the son, uh, quote unquote, of a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, so been in church ever since day one. Like, you know, technically been in church ever since like negative nine months. Um, so, you know, like my my dad's pastor. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. My, wow. um, my dad, my, my, my parents are pastors. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, so yeah, I grew up singing in church um, regularly. Um, I would, I was always like when I was a kid, I, I got to like take up the offering sometimes, which wow. would, which was always like you know, ooh, like I'm helping, uh, handing out communion elements and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like my entire childhood, I feel like a, a massive chunk of it I could explain in like Sunday mornings at church, Sunday nights at church, yeah. Wednesday nights at church. Um, you know, going to the uh, Georgia conference for my parents to like get their little, it was called camp meeting. Um, mm-hmm. And it was sort of like, you know, a conference where the uh, all the pastors would meet up, but they had stuff for the kids too. So that was, we grew up pretty um, a lower middle class poor. Um, and so like when I was growing up, camp meeting was my vacation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, church camp was my vacation. Mm-hmm. Um like, and there was there were there was one summer, um, or a few summers where they actually did. Um, they had enough like interest that they had two weeks um, of camp, and I went to both. Like that's how in I was. Um, like I asked special permission to get to go to both. Wow. Um, so you know, I, I would say at least a month out of every summer, I was in some sort of like church related function, and then what, like two and a half days out of the year I was in a church-related function. So um, whether I wanted to or not, um, it was uh, it was unavoidable to be as Christian as possible in the family I grew up in. 
Um, and how did you feel like your faith was formed there? Because I mean, I, I was also a pastor's child, so I can hear some remembrances. Do you feel like how much of that was your own? How much of it did you feel like wasn't a choice? Or how did you even process that element of your life at that time? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, um, especially since like as I've as I've grown up and um, I guess the way I'd phrase it is grown out of things. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people who were like, oh, my parents dragged me to church. Um, and sure, like the early mornings and like having to go back to church on Sunday night, it was always like, seriously, again? But um, to a large degree, I never thought of it in terms of like, my parents have forced me to be Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, this is against my will um, or anything like that. Like it was very um, important to me and uh, clearly by nature of being here, it's still very important to me in a very different way. Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, a, it was a massive part of my life and my identity. But for me, it was not like an unwelcome one, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Back to um, you're in this holiness church, and when did you begin to look at yourself and go, I I don't even know what you went like, <laughs> and you went something, and you yeah. did something. <laughs> when did something that something? That's yeah, right. Like sure. at some point, you went wait. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah. So uh, the the true crux of the matter. Um, so I. Being a quote unquote boy growing up, um, not my favorite, clearly. Um, and it came with so many, I mean, like, and this is where we could get into a whole, uh, you know, as a college professor, like, get into a whole college course on like how gender is largely a social construct. And, um, so there were so many, um, gendered expectations that came with being a boy slash young man raised in the church. Um, and so, um, it's physically impossible for me to answer a question quickly. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm I w- noticing that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm a, again hey, more content. Again, yeah, we're here for you. <laughs> again, college professor. Like I have to fill at least 50 minutes three right, times a week. Right. Um. But uh, but no. Like I would say that it was when I was a probably in my 20s is when I formally thought, what if I'm a woman. Um, but before that, I mean, I can think of early as like, you know, single digits. Um, the question or sorry, the phrase in my head was not, I am, it was, I wish. Um, so, you know, because like, and, and this is again, like not necessarily that Revel, revelatory or novel to to mention, but you know, like when you're raised a boy in the church, it's basically whether it's whether it's good or not. Like it's a weird hyper masculine thing to be um, raised as a boy in a um, fundamentalist kind of church. Like you know, you're expected to want to play sports. You're expected to want to be man of the house and the leader. You're the head. All those things. Um, boys are rougher. Boys are um, openly meaner in, in lots of ways. And so like there were so many aspects of it that like I just, I wanted to opt out of. Um, and of course that bleeds over into my secular life and, you know, they kind of like, it's a big cycle. They mm-hmm. all feed into each other. 
Um, so I would say when I was when I was a little kid, it was like I, I would rather be doing what the girls are doing. Um, I think into my teenage years, it was that was when it really started to feel like, you know, God, I wish I were a girl. Um, but uh, it wasn't until my twenties where I like actually started to formally question. Um, what if I'm a woman? Um, because by that point I had actually learned more about what it means to be trans. Um, I mean, I probably didn't know what, I didn't know the term transgender until probably college. Um, and so I didn't have any, um, framework or language for thinking I am a woman or, um, I should have been born a woman or something like that. Um, it's especially complicated where when you start to feel like, um, when you start to feel like, uh, what if I am, when you're raised, um, incredibly, um, rigidly Christian in a lot of ways, uh, you have to, like, there's that wall you hit where it's like, well, maybe I am, but quote unquote, God doesn't make mistakes. Mm. So, um, Wish I'd been born a girl, but I wasn't tough. Got to deal with it. It's my um, cross. It's my Pauline thorn, thorn in right. the flesh. It's my cross. Yeah, um, just gotta, just gotta buck up and deal with it. Got to man up, quote unquote. <laughs> um, so yeah, it wasn't until I was um, thirty that I um, had the like actual. I, revelation that like, no, no, I like, I, it's unavoidable. I know it now. Um, I am a woman. Um, I have had to, uh, do a 30 year trial run in what feels like the wrong body, but I know who I am now. Okay. So, so before we get to the 30, (laughs) what my interpretation of what I hear you saying is, you know, wanting, wishing that you were a girl and not, I, I want to say almost not buying into or engaging with or feeling like, I don't know what the right term is, that masculine side. You identified more as a feminine side. Mm-hmm. What? How did that affect you growing up? Did did you hide it? Did you, you know, how did that affect you? Were you bullied? You know, what kind of tell me that story? Yeah. Um, I think the, the bullying question is interesting because, um, I, you know, like there's a very real chance that I was just incredibly lucky, but like throughout my entire, like, grade school experience, I was like, I feel like bullying is something that only happens in movies. Like no one was ever stuffed in a trash can or whatever. (laughs) Right. Um, But so I guess I wouldn't think of it in terms of like out and out bullying, but sure, I was definitely um, made fun of for um, different ways that I failed to meet a masculine standard. Um, I, you know, I, I dated a lot in middle school and high school as far as like you can date when you're that young. Um, but it didn't matter. Like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people thought I was gay. Um, and you know, of course I didn't help that because I was in, I was a theater kid. So it's like, and I, and I sang in all the musicals. So it's like, oh yeah, of course he's gay. Um, (laughs) you know, but like, 
you know, no, I, um, I had a joke there, but <laughs> let's keep the Red story flag. going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't go there, James. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, definitely made fun of, um, for lots of little things. Uh, I was, a uh, um, you know, in, in ways that I didn't, you know, meet the masculine standard. I know, especially throughout, um, like K through five, huge quote unquote cry baby. I cried about everything. Um, knocked down on the playground, um, got in trouble with the teacher. Um, I was a, I was a huge crybaby. Um, you know, that's not a nice term, but that's just the way that I was described. And that's the way I thought about it to the point where like, literally when I was in sixth grade, I got a, um, bad grade on a math quiz and I made a crack about it. And my teacher like really put me in my place and I started to tear up and I literally was like, you are an 11 year old boy, um, you're not allowed to cry anymore. Wow. Um, and I sucked it up. Um, and I don't think I cried about anything like truly meaningful for, um, probably at least like, I think I was in high school before I really cried again. Wow. Um, so the other way to answer your question is just, I, I, the way I dealt with it was I repressed it. Uh, or like, re- <laughs> sorry, um, staying at the table, repress, repress the hell out of it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I think it's interesting as well is that the other, the other side of that kind of Janice faced coin, um, of feeling very feminine and feeling like it was very wrong to feel that feminine. Um, there were other ways in which I, um, I would describe it now as I coped through, um, overcompensation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I was never very good at it, but like, you know, um, different shades of toxic masculinity. Like I, I, I can, I can look back now and like, I know I told like sexist jokes. Um, I know I did things, uh, that were like quintessentially boyish, um, even if they weren't good or nice, um, just because that's what the other boys were doing. Um, and so like to the point where I can think about, um, when I finally came out and told people this, people could say like, I never saw this coming because you did this or because you did that. And it's like, yeah, but like that was my performance. So you were faking it there. I, I think when I say, when I say, um, I repressed it, I wouldn't consider it faking at the mm-hmm. time. Okay. Um, like I, I would consider it, um, that was who I was, but you know, it's not until you actually like start peeling back those layers that you're like, even if I didn't know I was faking it, I would, uh, again, I'm coming back to like, I was absolutely overcompensating. Right. Um, so. What is fascinating to me, and this is going to be sloppy here for a minute, but what is fascinating to me is your, your peers or whoever thought you were gay. <laughs> Wait, I, I got it. Welcome to my brain. <laughs> So they thought you were gay, but but you were dating women because you were attracted to women. But you were a you woman, really, so you were right, a gay you really woman. Were gay. They thought you were right. a, a gay <laughs> right. boy. That's, that's it. That's when it really starts to like that's sort of it. like pretzel we're in like, on itself. Right. We're like in the Matrix, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Terminator. It's like wait, so that you were gay. <laughs> well, in that term. There was no terminology in the circle she was in for what was happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so 
how I'm processing, right? Sure. So culturally, the church style that you grew up in is the same as mine, right? In terms of focus on uh, how humans uh, handle their bodies and move through the world as an honor to God, right? So there are certain cultural similarities, including the volume of time you're in church, mm-hmm. right? So in so what, what caught me is really interesting is the acculturation, indoctrination, and training we give to men on how to be men, right? This is the standard, right? You don't cry. I don't know one young boy who hasn't been told that who grew up in that culture. Suck it up. Boys don't cry. Get over it. Every father to their son makes this statement. Suck it up. This is what you do. And it is, it is normal, right? You say, okay. And the son looks at the father and say, yes, I want to be you. So this is what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know like with my, with my dad specifically, um, some uh, <laughs> some bit of like self contradiction because like um, you know you've heard jokes about like how like for men it's only acceptable to cry um, when the dog dies or when it's a football game or something like that like you know in the in like the church that I grew up in like men cried when they got to the really emotional part of their sermon and that's it and it wasn't you didn't cry you just went like you just choked up a little bit. Um, Jesus you. Exactly. <laughs> so much. Um, Not at my denomination. Prior than that, it was nothing. But <laughs> see, I know for my dad, like I absolutely did get versions of the suck it up conversation. But like they, they did try to be um, nurturing of my emotions, especially as a little kid. But I think once I hit puberty, like um, and was in middle school, my dad's tack changed a little bit because he saw it as like training for the real world. Right, coping like, mechanisms. Exactly. Like, you know, it's great that you are so in touch with your emotions, but you have to stop that or you will not survive. Yeah. Um, and so... Which is true in our culture. It's very true. Yeah. And so, and I think the funny thing is, is that like, so my dad tried to make space for that while also being like, you got to cut that out. <laughs> mm, right. Um, or you won't, you won't make it as a man. And, you know, the joke is like, hey, dad, didn't make it as a man. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to the part of your dad's response. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, exactly. I have a question. I don't know if we have time for it, but in this cast. Um, but what I'm noticing also is the the mix in how culture, it seems like doesn't have language to disentangle the sexuality element and the identity element. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. To the point of there was no question of are you maybe trans? That that wasn't in anybody's mind, but it's you're gay. Mm-hmm. And and so they were looking at the lo- at the wrong lens oh, to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm just interested in like how do you see how can what do we do about that or how how should we <laughs> Talk about that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, it's an excellent point. Like, I know, especially in that, like, n- late 90s, early, mid-2000s um, time period, if you are effeminate as a quote-unquote man, then you're gay. Like, you know, um, that's exactly, it's like, you know, A plus B equals C, um, effeminate plus man equals gay. Um, and the question is never like, oh, he is acting more feminine 
could that be because he is not he? Um, Interesting. That's never a conversation. Um, and I know that like we only have, we have such limited time and I talk so much. There's a lot of conservative panic about this kind of conversation because when you say like, oh, they act more, they act more effeminate. Um, what if they're a woman? Um, people see that as like, let kids be kids. Yeah. Um, you're influencing them. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you, I've seen post after post on Facebook from different people. Like if I had been women saying, if I had been born now, they would have made me like, you know, take testosterone and, uh, be a boy because I was a tomboy as a kid. And it's like, yeah, but there are very different right. signs of like feeling like a tomboy and feeling like a boy. And in my case, like there are, there are very different ways in my opinion that manifest like there are things I do that are masculine coded gay versus like I am a woman, if that makes sense. Um, so as far as your question on like how do we shift towards that more accurate conversation, I want to give you the brilliant answer, but beyond, but right now I guess my answer is I don't know. That's mm-hmm. a very good yeah. – it's a, it's a complicated question and conversation that we keep having to have. Because I'm, it, it, similarly I'm trying to reflect back – you wouldn't have been called gay in the neighborhood I grew up in mm. because it was focused on who you liked, right? It, be, it was the starting point for the definition. So it wouldn't have been gay because you liked women. So whoever you are, if you like women, you're not going to get the term gay. And so mm-hmm. it, it does, it, it, it's one of those brain teasers of, okay, language, culture you came from, then starts to lead into what are you called in that culture because it wouldn't have been that. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. In my experience, like it didn't matter how many different girls I dated, um, my mannerisms um, were at like they, they they told me out, they found me out. Like you know, <laughs> um, does like sure, like you know, you date girls, but it's to cover, cover up this. Up. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I cannot emphasize enough, no offense to three of the people in the room, how unattracted I am to men. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I-, I worked hard this morning, but okay. <laughs> I find you attractive. Thank you. <laughs> Not really. Help us. I mean, you're a beautiful I'm, man. I am, Help us. Thank you. I, am, I promise I am able to aesthetically say like, that is an attractive man who- right does nothing for me. <laughs> There's a question coming up in my head and, and I, I think this will, did, okay, so you were effeminate, people thought you were gay. Was there any um, conversation surrounding that aspect, like people asking you or people praying for you so that, the gay would go away or people trying to get you to admit something. I'm just curious about yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. I think um, the quick answer is no um, because when I said like I repressed and overcompensated, like I know I had ways of um, making it seem like I wasn't effeminate. Um, okay. You know, to a degree where in that sense of am I faking it or not, I didn't think of it that way when I was a kid because it came – it was a training that started to become second nature to me, um, which is, which is why like, which is why that repression aspect is so important. Um, 
who I really was, I just started tamping down farther and farther and farther and farther until that person didn't exist anymore. Um, and I will say, like, as far as um, the very complicated intersectionality of, like, gender and sexuality and race, um, the people who asked me most often if I were gay when I was growing up were black people. Um, and I don't know why that is. I think... Um, that there's just something about like how Southern boys were supposed to act that like I, I didn't fit that bill. Um, but, and I'm not saying that to start a whole different conversation or open up another can of worms. I'm just saying like, when I'm looking back on my experience, um, there's so many complicated intersections that like the, um, the narrative would be simpler. And honestly, in my own coming out journey, I think I would have come out quicker if I, had been more outwardly effeminate if I had people laying hands on me to pray the gay away. But that never happened because I was so good at repressing it. Wow. Um, I, I, for all intents and purposes, and like, you know, to the untrained eye, um, seemed like a man because and seemed like a boy because I knew how to act like a boy and how to act like a man. Um, I just know that over time I hated it more and more and more and more. Wow. And that that's kind of what I wanted to dig into was mm-hmm. this idea of as a society, for me as an outsider, there's, there's two pieces. One is how do we expand the definition of manhood to allow for like where... where Many facets. When, when is it, when, when is part of the response, well, we should just let more people call themselves men, right? Like let manhood be a bigger thing. Oh, yeah. Then you're on the football team, you're these specific markers. What I'm hearing you say is, yes, there was an element of kind of culture, gendered culture, but also something where there was an identity piece deeper than that. Mm Mm-hmm that you said, I am a woman, or you had this uh, an identity that you weren't able to express. What were some of the the ways that you knew that as compared to, I am who I am, but people don't like that I want to wear pink or, mm-hmm. or you know, just, as, yeah. <laughs> you know, but so, yeah. So how, how do you process like the, that space of maybe boys should just be allowed to wear pink versus that was a sign of something deeper that that boyhood didn't actually fit me at all. Yeah. I think that's why it can be such a um, complicated or thorny conversation because unlike gender constructs, trans identity is so, um, I mean, it's so embodied, it's, which means it's so individual in in some sorts of experiences. Um, And what I mean by that is like, you know, for me at least, I grew up with these toxic messages. I internalized them um, well into my 20s and late 20s. I unlearned them when, like, you know, toxic masculinity as a phrase became more popular and, like, that was really healing for me. So I did all of the things it took to unlearn that, to be able to get in touch with the fact that, like, yeah, I am, you know, at the time I was saying, yeah, I am a man and I'm more emotional and that's fine. I am a man and I like this thing that is not typically masculine and that's fine. Um, but for me, I did all that unlearning and Mm. all that like peeling back of toxic masculinity that had been like ingrained in me. And it still felt like the way I described it was that still felt like there was a gender shaped hole. 
Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it didn't matter how much I was like still a man, but able to do things that weren't coded as masculine, you know, which for a time I prided myself on that, like, you know, I could be a man who also did this and liked that and did this. And I was, <laughs> Ashley, uh, my wife was praised by otherwise being like, I wish my husband acted like yours did. Um, I wish that he were more, um, attentive in this way. I wish that he was more sensitive in that way. Like I, I, um, was held as like a, wow, Ashley, you really got a good one because he doesn't act like typical men. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the joke is because I wasn't, um, but, uh, there's still hope for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so, and I know, um, on the anti-trans and like even, you know, I would say like transphobic and even and sometimes even bigoted side of things, um, there is, I want to make space for, there is legitimate concern that is, you know, then transmogrified into something ugly. But there's concern over like trans identity is just based on gender stereotypes is what some people feel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you don't act like a typical man, so that must mean you're a girl. And it's like, no, that's not the case at all. Like, you can... Like Ashley's dad loves Downton Abbey and like pretty much any, any British, um, like period drama that middle-aged women love, Ashley's dad loves it. Um, and that is a very cherry picked example of like, why can't men enjoy that? And the answer is they can, why couldn't they? Right. Mm -hmm. Why can't men wear pink? Uh, I guess what they can. Um, so the, 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 the trans identity component it can't be boiled down to when I was a kid, I acted effeminate, you know, it can't be boiled down to, um, when I, uh, I, you know, I guess <sighs> certain individual activities yeah. that we have associated with one gender or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I could say my, my, sometimes my problem is in these conversations, I have like, you know, all these facts and experiences floating around up here. But if you say like, cite your sources, I'm going to be like, Oh, let me look it up. Um, but like, for example, um, in the history of, um, like, you know, transgender, um, identity as a medical diagnosis for a long period of time, I'm going to forget the doctor. Um, I think it was Blanchard. Um, but anyway, um, one of the like leading, um, figures in like trans trans identity as a medical diagnosis, and of course before as a medical diagnosis, it was a medical disorder. Sure, um, you know, uh, but if you were a trans woman who was attracted to men, then you were a true woman. If you were a trans woman who was attracted to other women, you were what was called an autogynophile, which meant that you just got off on being a woman. So it was the idea of like, you're not a true woman, you have a fetish. And so even in the medical diagnosis of these things, there were these gendered stereotypes. And I know I'm a little all over the place. Um, But yeah, so the idea that there were ways, even according to medical diagnosis, that you could be a true woman or not, or a true man or not, um, that was, was who you were attracted to, is what mm-hmm. I'm hearing you say. Mm-hmm. So that was part You're of still the diagnosis. The sexuality, right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Wow. So 
we're going we're gonna to bring it to a close. Dave is frantically waving our little cards that tell us how long we've gone. So, Chloe, thank you so much. And join us for part two um, when Chloe's going to share with us kind of her journey as she hits her 20s and 30s. And, um, and maybe there's a part three and four. We don't know yet. We're just going to stay at the table and keep talking. So, Chloe, thank you for coming in and thank you and, for having me and being vulnerable and sharing your story. And of course, Matt and James, thank you and Dave, thank you and thank you, me. <laughs> thank you, Tracy. Wow. Thank, thank you, Spoon. <laughs> thank you, Bowl. Good night, Moon. Good night. All right, much. everybody. Thanks so much for joining us, and tell your friends about us. Have a great day. See y'all. Staying at the Table is hosted by Dr. Tracy Saletta, Matthew Kissler, and James Beatty, and produced by Hear It Sound and Studio. Got a question or a comment or a topic you want discussed? Email us at adminccf at gmail.com. We'd love hearing from you. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes coming out. And if you're feeling kind, leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Find out more about staying at the table at cornerstonewestchester.com. Thank you.